Well, we did have a great time this morning. I'm just going to tell you, my, my, my favorite session of the weekend is always the dinosaur talk for the kids. Because you say dinosaurs to a K-6 group, I'm a rock star for an hour, okay? <laughs> Besides, I kind of have the mind of a five-year-old anyway, so that's kind of my group. So adults, you've got a long way to go to beat that group this morning. They were fabulous. And guess what? They know tons about dinosaurs. I will bet they know more about dinosaurs than you do. This is a very important topic. As I travel all over the world, one of the main things adults ask me about, dinosaurs. Well, Tommy, my kids are always asking me questions about dinosaurs. I don't know how, I don't know anything about dinosaurs. I don't know how to answer their questions. It's a really important issue. Folks, if there's one thing the world uses to steal the hearts and minds of our kids, it's dinosaurs. So you need to have answers. And if we're going to have an entire session about dinosaurs, I think the first thing we all need to do is get into sort of a, a dinosaur mood. We need to be thinking about and be focused on dinosaurs. So in order to get everybody into a dinosaur mood, I want to introduce you to an old friend. Dinosaur was that? Now, you know when I ask that question, who generally answers it? The kid, the adults don't have a clue. You know, big ugly lizard. What do I know about dinosaurs? Where do our kids learn about dinosaurs? And there are no wrong answers. Books, school, movies, TV. How many people saw the movie Jurassic Park? Keep them up. I saw that hand go down. Keep it. What a nest of sinners I've fallen into. You can put your hands down. You saw that horrible. Put your hands back up. I'm, I'm shocked. You saw that horrible evolutionary movie? I'm, I'm flabbergasted. You put them down now. I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I can't believe you saw that movie. I saw it 17 times. But I did it for research purposes only. Um, I actually did it for you. Yeah, you're welcome, right? But I don't care what anybody says. Jurassic Park is one of the coolest movies ever. When the T-Rex eats the lawyer in the outhouse, I mean, that's entertainment, right? I mean, that's a really cool movie. But, you know, there's some things in that movie just... Not fun. There's some teaching in that movie you need to know how to recognize. You need to have answers about dinosaurs, but as with everything else in our lives, those answers need to start with the Word of God. So we're going to start with a very basic, just a very simple issue, and it's this. How do we know things? Well, 
Let's take the second issue first. Dinosaurs and man, two species been separated by 65 million years of evolution, have just been thrown back together. How can we possibly know what to expect? Well, that's sort of kind of the point of the movie, right? What happens if people and dinosaurs are together? But that's not really the important issue. The important issue is the first one. How can we know anything about an extinct ecosystem? Simply put, can I stand here right now and directly scientifically test the past? No, the past is what? It's past. It's gone. That's why they call it the past. It's gone. The best I can do is make assumptions about the past. I can't stand here and directly test 500 or 5,000 or 50 million years ago. The best I can do is make assumptions. Yeah, Tommy, I see what you're getting at. You're talking about people who believe in evolution in the millions of years. You're pointing out, and rightly so, that those people can't directly test the things they claim is absolute truth. They can't directly scientifically test the past. But you know something, Tommy? You can't either. And that's right, I can't. But there's one critical difference. You see, I have a history book. And that history book comes to me from the perfect historian, the one who's always been there, who wouldn't tell me a lie, who in certain cases was the only one there when certain events occurred. I can use that history book and it helps me interpret the things I see around me. Because what we see in God's world really does agree with what we read in God's word. But the secular world says, no, 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 no. The Bible's a book of myths, fables, fairy tales. If you believe the Bible, you're not intellectual. You're not scientific. This is what the world says they know. This is the dinosaur family tree. And I've seen charts and diagrams and illustrations like this since I was like in grade school. And we know this particular chart is, in fact, a very scientific chart. You know how we know that? It's got scientific words on it. You know, Cretaceous, Jurassic, Triassic. And if you've got really good eyes on the far left, it's got the millions of years. So if it's got scientific words and the millions of years on it, it must be a scientific chart. Now, what this chart's trying to tell us is that, you know, 280 million years ago or so, you've got this sort of ancestral pre-dinosaur, and it's merely existing along, and all of a sudden, one day, poof, it has a mutated offspring. All of a sudden, a whole brand new type of creature develops, and then another, and then another, and then it gets to about that time it gets to that first line, it must have had like a really bad day, because poof, it just mutates into everything, and then this branch ultimately goes off to the right. So you start off with one creature, you end up with the ornithischian dinosaurs, the cerithian dinosaurs, the birds, the crocodilians. You start off with one creature, you end up with all these different varieties of creatures. Now, if you're paying attention to this chart, you'll notice that the lines come in two different colors. You've got the yellow, the highlighted portion of the chart, and you've got the, the gray lines, the grayed out portion of the chart. Can anybody tell me what the yellow lines in this chart represent? Those are things we actually have fossils of. We got fossils of that creature and that creature and that creature and that creature. We got fossils of all those creatures. Can anybody tell me what the gray lines and what, what does that represent? It's not a guess. It's an educated guess. I've got 12 years of college. I've got six letters after my name. I do not make guesses. I make educated guesses. You know what an educated guess is? It's a guess. But see, those of us in the academic intellectual community don't want you to think that we actually do make guesses, so we have code words for things like that. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. 
The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference. However reasonable, it is not the evidence of fossils. Anybody know what inference means? It means guess, but it sounds really academic, right? It sounds really, really nice. So let's go back to our chart and see what we can actually determine from this chart. Let's start with this creature on the far right. When that creature reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same. What about the one-third from the right? When that creature reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same. What about the one-fifth from the left? When that creature reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same. So what we have is the basis for this chart is fossil evidence of fully formed creatures reproducing after his or after their kind. I know I read that somewhere. Where did I read that? What about in the Word of God? Creatures reproduce after their kind, which means when dogs reproduce, they have dogs. When cows reproduce, they have cows. When dinosaurs reproduce, incredibly enough, they have what? And folks, you thought this was going to be hard, right? On the first day of creation week, God created earth, space, time, and light. On the second day, the atmosphere, the firmament, the expanse. On the third day, the dry land and plants. On the fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. On the fifth day, the flying and sea creatures. On the sixth day, land animals and man. Six ordinary 24-hour days. And on that basis, we have sound biblical scientific answers about these incredible creatures we call dinosaurs. In fact, you can hardly walk down a hallway at the Creation Museum without running into at least one dinosaur. We've got an entire two-story exhibit called the Dinosaur Den where we engage people about dinosaurs and answer their questions. Folks, we want to equip you to have answers. But if there's one thing the secular world hates more than anything else about our ministry, it's when we talk about dinosaurs. They consider dinosaurs their own personal private domain. More than anything else in our culture, dinosaurs are held out to our kids. It's absolute proof of evolution. And the things the secular world says, those people that answers in Genesis, they're playing fast and loose with the truth. You know those people that answers in Genesis, they're not even real scientists. And that was a shock to me. When I joined Answers in Genesis 10 years ago, I found out I wasn't really a doctor, <laughs> which, was a, which was really a revelation to me. I mean, if I'm not a real doctor, Vanderbilt owes me a lot of money back, okay? <laughs> and please don't tell my patients I wasn't actually a doctor. That news will be kind of a shock. See, Dr. Mitchell's not a real physician. Dr. Purdom's not a real geneticist. Dr. Faulkner's not a real astronomer. You know, Dr. Snelling's not a real geologist. Those people in Answers in Genesis, they don't have real degrees. They don't know anything about science. They don't know anything about the Bible. But you know those people in Answers in Genesis, you know what those rascals are doing? They're using dinosaurs to indoctrinate children. That's what they're doing. They're using dinosaurs to indoctrinate children. You know what our response to that is, by the way? Amen. That's exactly what we're doing. The world uses dinosaurs to convince our kids they're nothing but rearranged pond scum. We use dinosaurs to call our children back to the authority of the Word of God. We call dinosaurs missionary lizards. And, I, and since I'm in a church, and I know, I know y'all not going to rat me out on Facebook or, I mean, what's that other thing you do with your phones? Twit, twit, Twitty Bird? Yeah, Twitter, you know, whatever you do. You know, I had oatmeal for breakfast. I mean, you know, if you're on Twitter too much, move out of your mom's basement. I don't care. But nonetheless, I know you're not going to tell on me. So I'm going to tell you, we do have a sneaky, underhanded way of indoctrinating kids. We really do, and I'm going to admit it. You know what we do? 
We answer their questions. You know what upsets the world? Those answers start here with the Word of God. Yeah, well, Tommy, you keep talking about giving biblical answers, and certainly we're all about that. We agree with you there, but how can you give biblical answers about dinosaurs because the word dinosaur is not even in the Bible? And you know it's true, it's not. And that really confounds a lot of people. The word dinosaur is not... I don't know how many times I've read through the Word of God. I have yet to find the word dinosaur in the biblical text. Now, should that really surprise us? Of course not. The word dinosaur is a new word. It didn't exist until the year 1841. It was coined or invented, if you will, by British scientist Sir Richard Owen. He was one of the most prominent scientists of his day, and he was the first person that actually invented the word dinosaur. It means terrible lizard. So if you look in the 1828 dictionary, you find the words computer, locomotive, and rocket. You do not find the word dinosaur in the 1828 dictionary. Now, why is that? Because 1841 hadn't happened yet, right? The most commonly used English translation of the Bible is called the King James. It was completed in 1611. That's 230 years before the word dinosaur even existed. But what about the so-called modern English translations, which began in the you know, 1880, 1885 range? Read through those texts. You don't find the word dinosaur there either. Now, the question is, should you? Job 40, 15, Behold now behemoth which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is chief of the ways of God. Now that's obviously a hamster, right? I mean, is that a little pussycat? Is that a little puppy dog? I mean, is that a big creature or a little creature? That's a, if you got a tail like a cedar, if you're chief of the ways of God, you got to be some impressive creature. You got to be the man. You got to have it going on. But you know, I really wonder, seriously, I wonder if people, when they read through the Word of God, actually pay attention. Because the people that wrote the study notes for the NIV Study Bible said the creature we just read about was possibly the hippopotamus or the elephant. Has anybody here ever been to a zoo? You ever seen the backside of an elephant? Does that look like a cedar to you? I mean, that's a right sorry cedar, don't you think? Like we say back home, that ain't no cedar neither. Does a hippopotamus have a tail like a cedar? That ain't no cedar, no way, no how. I just don't quite understand that because, it, and I, I will freely admit, I've spent way too much of my life actually thinking about this, but as much as I've thought about it, I just can't make that work. <laughs> or maybe it's got their ends mixed up, I don't know. What about something like that? Or maybe like that? Now, can I make the following statement? Behemoth was a dinosaur. Can I make that direct statement? Behemoth was a dinosaur. No, I can't. What I can say is this. There is no creature in our present understanding that fits this description better than a sauropod dinosaur.
So what are they doing? They're digging up a fossil. It's a dig site. They're digging up a dinosaur fossil. And I'm going to tell you something that's happened to me far too often for my comfort over the years. I've had lots of families come up to me and tell me they've taught their kids that dinosaurs aren't real, that dinosaurs are just made up, that dinosaurs are some sort of conspiracy. Of course dinosaurs are real. How do we know dinosaurs are real? We got fossils. We got fossils of lots of varieties of dinosaurs. And I hope we find lots more. Fossils are really fascinating. But at the same time, we need to take a step back and see what we can truly understand from fossils. Now, for those of y'all that are here last night, you're going to remember this. This is a what? Fish fossil. Had this fish become a fossil? It got buried very rapidly, right? Now, can you think of an event in history associated with burying billions of creatures rapidly in unimaginable amounts of sediment? How about the flood? But remember, at the time of the flood, lots of things got buried rapidly. Now, when you dig up a fossil, have you dug up the past or the present? All right, let's just do it this way. How many people say when you dig up a fossil, you dug up the past? Hands down. How many people say when you dig up a fossil, you've dug up the present? Hands down. How many people didn't vote? Hands down. How many people in this room exist in the present? Hey, that's about two-thirds. That's excellent. See, it tends to be higher on the weekends and lower on the weekdays. So two-thirds on a Monday night is really good. I asked this question in California about six months ago. It was 5% tops. They didn't know if they were there or not. It's really incredible. When you dig up a fossil, you've dug up the present. You can't dig up the past. You know why? It's past. That's why they call it the past. All you have is the fossil to examine in the present. So for the sake of this discussion, we're going to say, you know, you're digging a barbecue pit in your backyard, and you just dug this up. Now, what I want you to tell me is what you know about this. Not what you wish, not what you think, not what you hope, not what you heard on the National Geographic Channel, not what your Uncle Floyd told you. I want you to tell me what you know about that. The fish. It's dead. Or very, very still. I'll accept either answer. But that's, that, if it's a fish, that, that ain't coming. At the end of the day, that's all you know. That's a dead fish. Question, what color was that fish before it got dead? You don't know. Fish color. Yes, we know it was fish color. Okay, I will accept that answer. Yes, we do, in fact, know it's dead as a fish, and it had fish color. I'm good with that. I'm very flexible. Okay, question, what did this fish eat? And fish food is not an acceptable answer. You don't know. There's no way you can know. Now, to be fair, we do have some specimens in the fossil record that have, like, parts of other creatures in their tummy. You know. So in certain cases, we do know what at least part of the diet was. In this case, you don't have any idea. Was this a smart fish or a dumb fish? Some people say it's a dumb fish or it wouldn't be a fossil. I understand that. But at the time of the flood, there would have been enough sediment. Even the smart creatures would have gotten buried rapidly. And, you know, that question is of particular importance to those of us who watch the movie Jurassic Park. If you read reports about how they made the movie or you watch documentaries about how they made the movie, more often than not, what they're going to tell you is that T-Rex was the star of the movie. And T-Rex was pretty cool, I have to admit that. But to me, there's another dinosaur in the movie Jurassic Park that's actually <clears throat> more involved with 
the plot, such, such as it was in the movie, <clears throat> the raptor. Now, how was the raptor portrayed? Smart. It was a cunning hunter. It was vicious. It hunted in packs. I don't even remember the scene where the big game hunter goes out to track down the raptors, and a couple of raptors distract him. The other one jumps out of the bush and eats him, which is a really cool scene. It's not as cool as the lawyer in the outhouse, but it's a really cool scene. You know, the raptor is a cunning hunter. It hunts in packs. Here's a question for you. Do fossils hunt in packs? No. No, we do know that. They don't. They lay there. That's what you do. What a fossil? They lay there. You dust them once. We know they don't. You put them in a the case. You, you, you got just a little bit ahead of yourself. I know how excited you are. Have that effect on people. It's all good. But anyway, fossils just lay there, and you dust them once. How can you possibly know if that's a smart fish or a dumb fish? Question, where did that fish die? What physical location on the surface of the earth did that fish die? No, all you know is where it ended up. There are places around the world, we call them fossil graveyards, and they're just acres and acres and acres and acres and acres, which is like billions and billions and billions of fossils. All those creatures get together and commit suicide? How'd that work? No, they got trapped in a sediment flow, and they were deposited in there. All you know is where it ended up. Hey, do fossils come with labels, I'm 65 million years old? We need to step back and see what we truly know versus what we assume, which is why the first time people come to the Creation Museum, and again, I hope you all I'll get to come at some point, when you actually start the tour through the museum, we have what we call a little slot canyon area, and you walk between these sort of little, you know, fake rock layers, and you start the tour of the museum. When people start the actual museum tour, they're often shocked that they don't find themselves in a Bible place. You know, they're not on day one of creation. They're not, you know, in the Garden of Eden. Where you find yourself is the dig site. We have recreated a dig site here. We have two scientists, and they're excavating a dinosaur fossil. One of the scientists is a creationist. The other one's an evolutionist. And on the screens behind this exhibit, behind this display, these two scientists are going to interpret their fossil find for you.
And why this is such an important exhibit is simply this. So often people come to the Creation Museum or even come to our conferences and they'll say, Tommy, you people dancers in Genesis, you deal with this stuff all the time. You're kind of on the cutting edge of creation evolution. I've got a friend who's an evolutionist. Give me the very best. Give me the latest and greatest evidence I can use to show my friend that evolution's not true. Is that the way it works? Doesn't work that way at all. Right off the bat, when you come to the Creation Museum and you understand what our ministry is about, what we want you to grasp about this whole topic is simply this. This is not a battle of evidence. Here we have two scientists. They're interpreting exactly the same fossils. They come to totally different conclusions. One scientist says it's 100 million years old. The other one says it's 4,300 years old. They're looking at exactly the same fossil. It's not about the evidence, folks. This is not about finches and fossils and rock layers. It's about how you interpret the finches, the fossils, and the rock layers. This is who? T-Rex. Look at those teeth. What does T-Rex eat? Now, according to the movie, we know at least four things. A 10,000-volt fence, a Jeep, an outhouse, and a lawyer. All in all, a very lovable guy. What's the answer to the question, what does T-Rex eat? Simply this, anything it wants, Right? And see, that's the way we tend to think about dinosaurs. Every time you say dinosaurs, you get this image of, you know, these fearsome creatures that ate Tokyo. You know, they're these vicious killers. Here's a Jurassic calendar. Kill something and eat it, kill something and eat it, kill something and eat it. See, that's the way we think about dinosaurs. In the beginning, when God looked at his creation and said it was very good, what did T-Rex eat then? Plants. Genesis 1.30. Every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. In the beginning, T-Rex, this most famous, this most vicious of dinosaurs, was a vicious vegetarian. Now, I don't care who you are, folks. That just takes the steam right out of T-Rex. I mean, it's a vicious plant eater. Yeah, well, Tommy, that doesn't make any sense. Look at those teeth. That's obviously a vicious killer. Look at this vicious killer. That thing would rip your arm completely. Look at the teeth on that thing. It's a panda. Pandas attack and kill what? Bamboo. It's a vicious bamboo killer. What's that? Well, see, you're starting to catch on. My slides are labeled. Look at the teeth on that thing. It's a vicious fruit killer. This is my mother-in-law. I mean the black Uakari. Look at the teeth on that thing. You know what it eats? Mostly nuts, fruits, and vegetation. There are lions and tigers in our world today that are vegetarian. In one of my other presentations, I have a video of an alligator eating kumquats. Bears, when they come out of hibernation, you know, long teeth and claws will do very nicely eating plants. If you disturb them, they'll be happy to eat you too. But that's not the best example. The best example is the great white shark. The great white shark has been called nature's perfect predator. The great white shark has been called nature's perfect killing machine. I'm going to show you a video about nature's perfect killing machine.
So what they're doing is they're testing baits for the great white shark. So the first thing they do is they take some tuna and they throw that out in the water. Then they take some squid and they throw that out in the water. Then they take some kelp, you know, just a big ball of seaweed, and they throw that out in the water. And then they put that rocket scientist with the video camera in that steel cage to film all this, which, by the way, is a job I never, ever am going to apply for. But nonetheless, this guy's filming it. And what happens? On multiple passes, the great white shark does what? It ate the plants first. On multiple passes, nature's perfect killing machine ate the plants first. Now, a few months ago, I did have a young man point out to me that perhaps the great white shark was eating his salad before he ate the diver, but I don't have the rest of the video, so I'm really not sure. That guy's got it figured out, doesn't he? I mean, but I'll be honest, if I get up tomorrow morning and I see something eating the leaves off the tops of the trees, I'm going to get my camera out. That must be some impressive sight. But I don't know if you remember this scene in the movie. This guy is just, he's basically overcome by a transport of emotion. He just can't believe what he's seeing. In this next scene, he kind of sees these dinosaurs moving around, and he just kind of collapses in this field. So, you know, he, just, he just can't wrap his mind around it. He's being confronted with an idea a concept that never, ever has entered his thinking. People are actually, he's actually seeing dinosaurs. Now, should that idea really be that foreign to him? You know what that is? It's called a pictograph. There are places around the world you find drawings or carvings. You find them in caves. You find them on cliff walls. And they're called pictographs or petroglyphs, depending on whether they're drawn, painted, or actually carved into the rock. And there are uh, several websites you can go to, and they collect images of these things, you know, from all over the world. And if you look at some of these areas, you see some really interesting stuff, you know, something like that. Or maybe something like that. Now, I know it's kind of hard to see, so that's more of a high contrast view. Or maybe something like that. What does that look like? Dinosaur. I can think of one creature alive today that sort of kind of looks like that. And don't yell out Barney. <laughs> kangaroo. But be honest, when you see that, you don't think kangaroo. You think what? Dinosaur. And again, I know that's hard to see. What does that look like? It's like a sauropod. What does that look like? It's like a dinosaur. What does that look like? 
Those things look like dinosaurs to me. But you know what most secular scientists will tell you? These things that look like dinosaurs, they're not dinosaurs. Their artwork, their imagination, their religious imagery. I read one report where they were evaluating one of these areas, and the, the, the paper said the thing that looked like a dinosaur was a mythical creature of worship. While at the same time, other things on these walls or in these caves are real. Let me ask you a question. These drawings are carvings, and we find these things all around the world. How did they actually get where they are? People put them there, right? Either people drew or carved these things, or they're the most amazing example of erosion you'll ever find. And if it's just erosion, the same kind of erosion happened at different places around the world. I'm going to suggest to you that the people who lived in those areas at those times were drawing or carving images of things they actually saw, things that were in their actual experience. To me, the secular scientists need to be looking at these things going, wow, we got abundant evidence that people and dinosaurs have walked the earth together. But they persist in their idea. They persist in trying to teach you that dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. So my question for you is this. Are, are they saying that because of the evidence or in spite of it? I suggest that it's in spite of it. Bet you never look at birds the same way again. I reckon not because that little girl hadn't seen a bird yet. The dinosaur in the first part of that clip is called a gallimimus. Now, did you hear the dialogue? Look how it changes directions just like a flock of birds evading a predator. They're flocking this way. Bet you never look at birds the same way again. You know what I'm going to tell you about that dialogue? It wasn't an accident. Dinosaurs went extinct millions of years ago. Or did they? No, birds are essentially modern, short-tailed dinosaurs. You know what the key thread of the movie Jurassic Park was? You know what they were ultimately trying to teach you? Dinosaurs evolved into birds. Dinosaurs evolved into birds. Dinosaurs turned into birds. That's what they were trying to teach you. Well, Tommy, I don't know if I can agree with that. I saw the movie three times, and yeah, I know there was some evolution teaching in it and stuff like that, but it was still entertaining. But I watched, like I said, I watched the movie three times, and I certainly didn't get that impression. I don't think you can really make that claim. That seems kind of far-fetched to me. That's not true, is it? Actually, it is. You see, if you did what I did, if you bought the collector's edition DVD of the movie Jurassic Park, spent the extra three bucks, it was totally worth it. On the collector's edition DVD, there's actually a documentary about how they made the movie. And if you watch that documentary, you're going to see this. And, you know, he's one of the portrayed animals, so he's been a great big time here working with paleontologists and um, doing a lot of field work to help portray scientifically accurately. Like a lizard or a snake. 
like to answer specifically for that, for survey, you know, you know, genetic you know, mutations to a degree, things like that. Oh, the, the raptor stick out its tongue, the horns um, the anatomic of that, so then I just came down and I kind of like, who, stupid idea with that? Just talking about mind that are going to use. No, they can never do that. We know that they didn't do that. So, had that been left in the scene, all the work in transmission of these things, bird life, would have been gone. All the work into making these things bird-like would have been gone. In order to maintain scientific accuracy, we need to break the reptilian stereotype associated with dinosaurs. Well, as of this morning, they're still classified as land reptiles. Now, this idea that dinosaurs evolved into birds is a very common idea. It's what you're going to hear if you watch the National Geographic Channel or if you read Scientific American or the lay scientific publications. That's the for public consumption idea that, that you hear the most, that dinosaurs evolved into birds. Now, I will tell you this. I know a number of secular paleontologists who don't buy this idea at all. So it is by no means consensus. Even though it's presented to most people as absolute proven fact, it is by no means consensus among secular paleontologists. But to be fair, as I've thought about it over the years, if I were going to pick a kind of creature that's going to turn into a bird, I'd probably pick a dinosaur, wouldn't you? I mean, they're so bird-like to begin with. <laughs> Only a couple of simple changes in a dinosaur and you've got a bird. I mean, really, this is all you have to do. First of all, you have to change the metabolic system because living reptiles are cold-blooded and living birds are warm-blooded. Now, I know there's a debate among paleontologists about dinosaurs. A couple of years ago at one school, I talked to a paleontologist there, and he said, Tommy, dinosaurs are obviously warm-blooded, and most paleontologists agree with me. Well, about a year and a half later at a different school, I talked to a different paleontologist. He said, Tommy, dinosaurs are obviously cold-blooded, and most paleontologists agree with me. Well, about two years ago, a paper came out that said dinosaurs may not be warm-blooded or cold-blooded. They may be lukewarm. <laughs> Folks, you can't make this stuff up. Welcome to my world. But at some level or the other, the metabolic system has to change. The other thing that has to change is the respiratory system. Because the respiratory system of a reptile and the respiratory system of a bird, well, they're different. And it is no insignificant feat to evolve a respiratory system. Let's just say you're going to go from reptile respiratory system to bird respiratory system. And let's just say it's going to take 50 steps. It's going to take way more than that, but we're going to keep the math simple. Reptile to bird in 50 steps. All these 50 steps have to do what? They have to work. Because if step 37 doesn't work, you've got a problem, right? Either the creature holds its breath long enough to reproduce or it dies and you've got to start all over again. So you've got a huge problem. The other thing that has to happen is scales have to turn into feathers. And this is really easy to wrap your mind. This is really visual. You're going to get this right away. That's a scale. Okay, you good with that? That's a scale. This is a feather. See, those are almost exactly alike, right? I mean, if I changed the labels on my slides, you wouldn't know which one was which, would you? I mean, is that a scale or a feather? I mean, what, yeah. See, you might be wondering how that turned into that. Well, if you'd read the journal Nature back in 2001, you'd know because they illustrated it for us. You see, you start off with a scale, and the scale gets fuzzy. Then it gets branches, and the branches get fuzzy. Poof, your Bible's not true. 
course, they give us any genetic way this could happen. No, but it was really well illustrated. Folks, this didn't happen. Here's an article from 1997. New study challenges theory that birds evolved from dinosaurs. Folks, this is by no means consensus, no matter how definitively this is stated on TV or in the lay scientific journals. I want to ask you a direct question. How do you know that dinosaurs didn't evolve into birds? How do you know that? Because birds were created on day five of creation week. Dinosaurs were created on day six. Birds predate dinosaurs by one day. Who says? God does. Well, we don't have a lot of time, and we got to get to the big question. And this is a question based, I get everywhere I go. And after this many years, I can almost pick out the person that's about to ask me. Because, I mean, I talk to a lot of people, and I love answering people's questions. But every now and then you see somebody that heads towards you, and they've got that certain look on their face, you know, like, Boy, I'm going to stump Dr. Mitchell now. Well, folks, I've been here for two days, and most of you have already figured out that stumping me is no great feat, okay? I, I've been stumped 46 times just today. I mean, it's not hard. But people come to me like, I got, I got to quit. I'm going to stump Dr. Mitchell. I got him now. They say, hey, Dr. Mitchell, what happened to the dinosaurs? And they're absolutely shocked because I know what happened to them. You know what happened to them? They died. What happened to the dodo bird? It died. What almost happened to the American bald eagle? It almost died. There's only endangered species list for some time. As I understand, it's off now. And I, again, I'm off for endangered species list. But you see, we have a problem. We live in a fallen, cursed world. Sometimes creatures lose the ability to continue to survive. Go to your computers and, and search the, uh, the word extinction. What you're going to get, you're going to get lists of creatures that have gone extinct in the last 10 years or the last 50 years. You'd be shocked at the number of creatures that have gone extinct in our lifetime. And it is very uncommon when you look up these lists that it's just one specific reason. I mean, that's very rare. Usually, it's multiple things that sort of have to happen sort of all at the same time for a creature to go completely extinct. For example, if you go to the Natural History Museum in London, they have a big display about the extinction of the dodo bird. And it's all kinds of different science talking about all the different factors that go into it. It's a very complex issue. But the thing is, we live in a fallen, cursed world, so sometimes creatures just lose the ability to continue to survive. But the secular world says, oh, you Bible people, you creations, you talk about the Bible and dinosaurs, that's kind of silly. You know, first of all, the word dinosaur is not even in the Bible. But if you're so smart, what happened to the dinosaurs? And the thing is, when I engage the secularists, the evolutionists about this, they hold me to the standard that I have to have the one specific reason. And if I don't have the one absolute reason that I can directly prove, they say I'm not scientific. And that's really curious because the secular world allows themselves any number of different ideas and concepts. So what I've done over the last few years, I've accumulated a list of secular answers to the question, what happened to the dinosaurs? Now, if you'd gone to a secular college or university in the last 20 years or so, and you'd asked one of the professors this question, you could have gotten any combination of these answers. Now, I understand that today some of these are really not, not, maybe so, not so much in vogue or as popular as they used to be, but I'm going to go through this really quickly. Now, remember, this is the group of people that holds us to the standard that we have to have the one specific answer, but they can give you any combination of these, and they still consider themselves scientific. So here we go. Very rapidly, secular answers to the question, what happened to the dinosaurs? They died out because their brains were too small. The picture's pretty bleak, gentlemen. The world's climates are changing, the mammals are taking over, and we all have a brain about the size of a walnut. 
They roamed the earth for millions of years, then they died out because they were stupid. They were outcompeted by mammals. During the time the dinosaurs roamed the earth, the mammals evolved, and they were smarter and faster, could forage for resources better. They simply outcompeted the dinosaurs. Some suggest they died out because other animals ate their eggs. I guess the other animals had a meeting and said, well, they're a problem if they grow up. Let's eat them while they're young. They died of cosmic rays from a supernova. Star explodes, radiation comes to earth, kills the dinosaurs. Of course, white didn't kill everything else. Well, that's kind of a problem here. This next one is one of my favorites. They died because of a change in the earth's magnetic field. Now, that one makes particular sense to me because dinosaurs are obviously magnetic. <laughs> they died because of, and you heard it here first, they died because of indigestion and constipation. 65 million years before Rolaids, the dinosaurs are killed off by a massive plague of indigestion. Simply put, they had gas. Now, the way this works, there was a climate change. With the climate change, the dinosaurs' preferred food sources were no longer available, so they had to eat things they weren't used to eating. The new foods gave them a tummy ache, and they died of gas. Some suggest they died of communicable disease. Now, we do have evidence in the fossil record of infectious disease processes. That's true. But there's no evidence of a worldwide disease process that eradicated the dinosaurs, so this really doesn't make any sense at all. This next one is still surprisingly popular. Again, if you ever get a chance to go to the Natural History Museum in London, you go to their dinosaur wing, they've got signs talking about this. The dinosaurs died of hay fever. During the time the dinosaurs roamed the earth, certain types of flowering plants were said to have evolved, and those plants gave off pollen that was toxic to the dinosaurs, so the dinosaurs died out because of asthma and hay fever. I know you're not going to be surprised by the next one because we really haven't even talked about this. They died of global warming. Now, this presents a particular problem for the secularists because this is supposedly, you know, their worldview 65 million years ago. So there were no people around, you know, driving internal combustion engines and burning coal in their power plants. So global warming happened and it killed the dinosaurs. You're never going to guess who caused the global warming. The dinosaurs did. This is what they have determined, or at least some scientists have determined this. And they've actually done these calculations. They've looked at, say, the biggest, you know, the sauropods, you know, the very biggest dinosaurs. And they've tried to calculate how much plant material a sauropod would eat in a day, you know, to just keep it alive and allow it to do function, all you know, the metabolic activity. They've calculated how much plant material the sauropod would take in. Then they've calculated how much methane the sauropods would have produced and subsequently released into the atmosphere. So anyway, as part of their eating the plant material and digesting food, they made gases, and those gases got into the atmosphere. The gases caused the global warming, and the dinosaurs died of the gas that they themselves generated. They caused global warming, and they eradicated themselves. I've had people openly and publicly challenge me about this. I've even been called a liar when I've presented this. Welcome to my world, folks. Here's the article. Dinosaurs gassed themselves into extinction, British scientists say. Welcome to my world, folks. You cannot make this stuff up. This next one borders on cruel and unusual punishment. This, this next one frightens me some because, as I've shared with you, I have a wife and three daughters. Some have suggested the dinosaurs were di died out because they were overrun by females. <laughs> Now, the way this is supposed to work, we know in laboratory settings, when you incubate reptile eggs, if you control the temperature just a certain way, you can actually control the sex of the offspring. 
Now, I've got some research papers that we're doing about some research that we're doing with crocodiles a few years ago, and I really need to go pull these out again. So please don't hold me to this. I may have this flipped in my mind. So extend a little grace here if you, if you can. As I remember the, the paper, the lower temperatures gave all males, and the higher temperatures gave all females. And in between those two extremes, you got kind of a mixture. So the way this idea works, there was a climate change, and the temperature was such that when the dinosaurs laid their eggs, they all came out the same sex. Well, if you can't find another reason, blame it on them. They caused their own extinction. They went extinct because it just got too big. They continued to evolve, and they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, they got so big, they couldn't compete for resources. They couldn't evade predators. They were so big and cumbersome, they were targets in their own environment. You know, and I guess at one level, you know, for a sauropod, you know, the very biggest dinosaurs, maybe, maybe a Diplodocus or something, maybe you can make a case for this, but some dinosaurs fully grown are only the size of chickens. If you take all the different varieties of dinosaurs that we know about today, you take the average size, the average size is about the size of a bison. So this doesn't really make that much sense. Some suggest they died out because all the plant eaters got eaten. So the meat-eating dinosaurs started eating the plant-eating dinosaurs. And they ate them, and they ate them, and they ate them. So what happened to the plant eaters? They're all gone. So what happened to the meat eaters? They starved. They ate themselves out of house and home. But that's not the biggie, the meteor. The meteor that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. National Geographic talks about this like they got it on videotape. It is really annoying. Now, the way this idea works, there was a meteor hit the earth, and it's caused a lot of catastrophism, puts a lot of dust in the air, and the catastrophism, you know, killed the dinosaurs. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that our planet has been hit by meteors and things. Certainly, you can see the impact craters. This is the most popular idea, or at least the most popular for public consumption idea that you hear. This is referenced on TV shows and in commercials. It's what you hear on the National Geographic Channel. And I will tell you again, I know a number of secular paleontologists who don't buy this idea at all. But the reason, at least in some circles, this idea is popular, in some of these areas where you find sedimentary rock, where you find dinosaur fossils, you'll find a high concentration of a substance called iridium. Now, iridium is found in high concentration in meteors. So the idea is the meteor hits, puts a lot of dust in the air, the iridium settles out where the dinosaurs died. Well, okay, that's all well and good. But think about this. Let's just say you got a dead T-Rex right here. How much sediment does it take to bury your T-Rex? A lot. When do you need it? Now. You don't need it six months from now, right? You need it when? You need it now. Well, the, one of the many problems with this idea is where did all the sediment come from? Well, as it turns out, there's another source of iridium, and that source of iridium is volcanic activity. And this is such an issue for the secularists. The, the second most popular idea about what happened to the dinosaurs is this whole concept of worldwide catastrophism, you know, volcanic activity all over there, because they know that would account for the iridium. But I have another source of iridium. How about the volcanic activity that would have occurred on the basis of the flood of Noah's day? The great fountains of the deep breaking open, the worst cataclysm the world's ever seen, sedimentation on a global cataclysmic catastrophic scale, burying billions of creatures suddenly in unimaginable amounts of sediment. I can explain not only the iridium, I can explain the vast amounts of sediment required to bury these creatures rapidly. I don't need to invoke a meteor. All I need to do is trust the history and the word of God. Some people suggest the dinosaurs died out because of a change in climate of the earth. Again, can you think of an uh, event associated with the changing climate of the earth? How about the flood? But the flood could not have caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Why? To a very kind of dinosaur on the ark. They get off the ark to the same world they left. 
No, the world being completely remodeled, different topography, different weather patterns, different food sources, disease processes, hunting pressure. The world being completely remodeled and changed. The, the dinosaurs get off the ark, they reproduce after their kind, and they walk the earth with man up until at least the last few hundred years. What happened to the dinosaurs? They died. Can I give you the one specific reason? No more than I can for any number of other creatures who have gone extinct in our lifetime. It's a very complex issue. You know, changing ecosystem, man encroaching on their ecosystem, uh, changing weather patterns, changing food sources, predator patterns, disease processes. This, all the same things that, that come to bear or, or you know, th that occur to cause extinction of other creatures apply to the dinosaurs also. They eventually lost the ability to continue to survive. And folks, I'll say this again as, as, we, as we come to the end of this talk. If there's one thing the world uses to steal the hearts and minds of our kids, it's dinosaurs. And if we don't commit ourselves to learning this, to understanding it, so we can equip the next generation, the next generation, and the next, we, in effect, turn our kids over to the world to be educated. We turn our kids over to the world to be educated. Whose fault is it? It's our fault. And according to Scripture, this is not an option. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer. Just go to our website, www.answersingenesis.org. Go to the search engine. Just type in the word dinosaur or T-Rex or Triceratops. We're going to give you lots of information. There's chapters on dinosaurs in our answers book series, both the adult answers book series and the kids' answers books. Don't forget the book Dinosaurs for Kids. Parents and grandparents, this book is not just for kids. If you don't feel comfortable answering questions about dinosaurs, you read this book yourself. You're going to get tons of information. Our book on dragon legends and our most popular kids' DVD is called Dinosaurs, Genesis, and the Gospel. It's a two-DVD set by Ken Ham and Buddy Davis. Answers tons of questions about dinosaurs. Like I said, by far, it's been our most popular kids' DVD for over a decade. And with that, we'll conclude, and I'll turn it back. Come on, boss. Come do it. Do your thing. <laughs>